Hey church, Pastor Adam here, and I want to say thank you so much for stopping by to join us for Church Online today. And, and while we are super stoked that you're hanging out with us this morning, we do want to remind you that really this is just is supplemental. And man, it just cannot replace the local church in your life. And so look, we hope that you are encouraged and, and challenged and shaped by today's message that's being preached. Uh, but, but also, we don't want to be uh, your substitute. Uh, for the local church body that you should be involved in. We really do believe that the local church is God's plan A in reaching the world. So with that being said, please come hang out with us in person uh, one Sunday. If you're in Paducah in the area, come hang out with us to get some rest or find a local Bible-believing, Jesus-preaching church that you can get plugged in and connected to. Uh, Jesus loves the church and and we love Jesus and, and we believe that we can better serve uh, Jesus, if we love his church well. So, welcome to rest. Good morning, Rest Church! I want to start um, by saying thank you for everyone who's been praying for my family, uh, for my mom. Um, just to give you a short synopsis, about two weeks ago, um, coming tomorrow, uh, my mom had a brain aneurysm bust um, on Monday night. That Monday night was Halloween night. And uh, we lifelighted her from the yard uh, to Nashville. She's been in the ICU uh, since that time and is still there today. And so we just continue to covet your prayers as we go through all of that. And uh, I appreciate everyone's love and support all throughout that and kind of letting Molly and I uh, be in Nashville last week. So just thank you. Um, how many of you have ever had the um, joy or the pleasure of fiercely competing in the church lock-in Olympic sport, also known as bungee fun? You, ever, you guys ever, ever played bungee fun before or bungee run? You've heard of bungee run? I got a photo of it here real quick. Throw, throw that photo up for me, Caleb. All right, so just to kind of, this kind of looks like you, Jared. I saw that photo. What are you doing, Caleb? Okay, all right, so does this not look like a little Jared? I thought, is that his twin? Okay, anyways, so here we are. You get hooked up to this harness, and for some reason, pro presenter wants to just keep jumping slides. You get hooked up to this harness, and you take off running, and the, and the goal of it is, is to make it as far down the line as you possibly can, and to put your little, little uh, sack thing on the Velcro, and so... The, the catch to this, though, is, is that the harder that you run, the bungee cord that's attached to it, the harder that, what is Sir Isaac Newton's theory? Yeah, 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 there it is, there it is. And so you get straight yanked up, like, like you done did something. Uh, gen, I, I'm a millennial, but I was raised by some old school parents, right? You, up, you ever been in the grocery store and get yanked up? Yeah, you people know what I'm talking about. We from the Kentucky. Um, I've been in that grocery store where I was talking crazy to my mom and not realizing dad was around too. You know what I mean? Like You, there, you can talk crazy to mom sometimes and it, 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 it'll work. But you talk crazy to mom in front of dad, it's about to go down, Okay. And I've been snatched up a few times. And the same kind of thing here, man. You're tethered, and you take off running. And there was a time in my life when I wasn't fluffy, okay? 
I was actually fit. And, and you take off running, it was like uh, Nathan and Chuck know, because this is old school, Northside Baptist Church, you, you're in here, I got, the, I got the full harness, get up on, and I take off running, and you try to jump and dive, right? And as you dive and you throw the little sack on there, it yanks you back into next week, okay? And so, it's, it's an easy concept to understand. And I, you know, I've had many, many vivid men- memories of uh, Matt Byrne trying to show other 13-year-old girls my manhood of running um, and staying tethered, and I'm stronger than the other 14-year-old boy that's beside me. You guys all know what I'm talking about? As if that mattered. Thank you for marrying me. Um, Today we find ourselves in Romans 5 wrestling with this tether. Paul has been, has kind of brought us to uh, what, what I will refer to as this participle that, that's kind of, he, he pauses the book of Romans, kind of. He pauses these arguments that he's been making to bring us back to this one specific construct, this one specific thought because he's building constantly on the platform of justification and I'm going to break all that down but he's been building on this platform of justification throughout chapter 5 he kind of pauses to remind us of the tether that we're tied to does Sunday school answer what's this tether oh my gosh sin sin we're tied to sin Right, right, right. We, we're all, we, we talk about this all the time, we're all a bunch of filthy little wicked what? There we go. Good, good people. Good people. Read our Bibles. <clears throat> um, and, and as we come to week 38, we're going to look at verses 15 through 18. And, and as we do, I'm going to invite you in those sections, we're going to read the passage that A.B. read and preached from last week, but in particular, there's going to be two phrases that if you're, if you're not some you know, prim and proper person who actually reads their Bible and puts notes in it, I'm going to ask you to do that with me today. In your Bible, if you could come see my Bible, you're going to see that under these phrases I have underlined and some of them I have circled. And there's two particular, one word, one phrase, that I want you to pay a special attention to this morning, and that is the trespass and the free gift. We're going to see Paul bring these two words or this phrase up over and over and over again in the three scriptures we're going to cover today. And it's because he's trying to highlight a very specific principle as he unpacks the theology of imputation. Now, I'm going to get into what that means, but he is trying to unpack this theology of imputation as he moves, building upon the foundation of justification. And maybe you're like, man, I have been in church three minutes and this pastor is already exhausting me. I promise you, I'm going to help you out. We're going to put the words on the screen. But just, there's some awesome critical things going on here theologically that we have to exfoliate, that we have to exposit out. And so let's, let's just read the scriptures, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 17. Romans 5, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death 
through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, even though those who were sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All right, picking up on this week's verses. Verse 15, for the free gift, there we go, we're going to underline the free gift, is not like the trespass, underline that. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought what church? For if by, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church. Father God, we pray today that, Lord, that you would open up your scriptures to our hearts, that you would illuminate them, that, God, that we would give you permission to reproof, rebuke, and to correct us, that we would give you permission to call us out of our selfishness and into your marvelous light, to call us out of our darkened stupor state, that Lord, that we would come to you confessing our sins, because God, we know you are faithful and you are just to forgive them, and that Lord, we know that your grace is more than sufficient to meet our needs. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So what is this free gift? The free gift is salvation. All right, so the free gift is salvation. And, and what is this salvation that we have? It is salvation from eternal death. I, I have a slide there. It is the free gift is salvation from eternal death by what? By what means do we receive this salvation, church? Grace. And what is grace? Grace is the unmerited or the undeserved favor of God. We did nothing to deserve it. We deserve death. Death, 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 death. And, and you've heard me say this a million times, and I know I sound like R.C. Sproul when I say this. I love it when people say to me, well, why do bad things happen to good people? And my response is always, there's only ever been one good person, and the bad thing that happened to him, he volunteered for. Right? There, there's no good people. There's no such thing. That's an oxymoronic statement. There are no good people. So, so we receive salvation. That is the free gift. And we receive it by grace. It is by our unmerited favor of God. God puts that on us. He gives us that particular thing. And Paul, Paul really in-depth deals with this in Ephesians chapter 2. And we, we talked a lot about this, but Ephesians 2 eight, For by grace you have been saved through what church? Faith. And it is not of your own. It is a gift of God. Did you have anything to do with that? Come on. Come on. Alright, alright. Get these Baptists shook out this morning. Just like Pastor A.B. said, when we are walking through 
chapters 1 and 2. He, kept, he, he had this really good phrase, and we played the, the BK song, you know, like, Whopper, 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 right? And, it, and it's a spin on the 70s song that said what? That you can have it your way, right? And, and as we looked at Romans chapter 1 and 2, we wrestled with this, this particular concept. We can have it our way. You can have it your way, but there's a better way, right? Because what we saw is that Paul deals kind of with this concept of the trespass, and he says that God will turn us over to our sin, right? He, he says that he'll, he'll turn us over to a reprobate mind. If we pursue the things of sin, if we pursue a lifestyle that is apart from Christ, he will let us have it, right? He will turn us over to it. Meaning that if you seek your wants, your desires, God will let you have it. But there's a better way. What is the better way? The better way is the free gift of grace that is in Jesus Christ. Where our sins are plunged into the depths of the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. It is His grace that rescues us from the prison of our efforts. Right? we got a lot of do-gooders. We're all naturally wired to be do-gooders, right? Can we all agree to that? Maybe you're like, I don't know what you mean. I mean, you try to do good all the time. Like, like you, you, you're, you're a do-gooder. You, you try to do it yourself. I mean, that, that's exactly what grace is saving us from. It's from trying to make it on our own merits because it is impossible. The chasm between us and God the Father is so immense that we cannot comprehend it. We can't make it to God. We can't be good enough. We can't strive. We can't make ourselves you know, be a masochist or, or to practice monasticism where we put ourselves away and we become a monk. We can't be good enough, but we don't need to be. Amen? And so when we come to here, so let's, let's go back to that verse. But the free gift, salvation, is not like the trespass. What, what is the trespass here? It's the original sin. And A.B. dealt with this a little bit last week. And when we talk about the trespass, he's pointing us back to the garden, to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, where, where Adam disobeyed God in the garden. God gave him one kind of general command, actually two. He says, you know, eat of the tree, or, or basically don't eat of the tree of knowledge. And what was the second command? I won't celebrate it, but man, we love it. Be plentiful. There we go. But so he gives him two commands. One he fails at. He eats of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, and their eyes are opened. Though it is not opened as the serpent tells them it is going to be open like, they are open to sin. They open themselves to sin. And so this trespass, this sin of Adam has reverberating effects on humanity. It, it, it causes many to die. It brings death into the fray. It is not, um, you know, I'm going to quote again. I'm going to quote R.C. Sproul again. It is not that Adam and Eve, or Augustine dealt with this some, it is not that Adam and Eve couldn't die. They had a choice. They could live forever, or they could disobey and die. You see what I'm saying? God made them eternal beings that if they did not eat of the tree of knowledge, that they would live forever. But they were bodies and beings like us, and they 
they came to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They partook, and because they partook of that particular tree, they died. And that death is then theologically passed on to us. What, what is that theological construct? What is this? This is imputation. Everybody, let's say it together. Imputation. 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 All right, there we go. We're having fun today. Meaning, Adam passed on or he imputed his sin to us. He gave us the disease and now we are carriers. We're carrying it around, giving it to everyone. When Adam sinned, he acted on behalf of all of humanity. That's where the name Adam comes from, meaning mankind. What Adam did in the garden was not simply for himself, but for all of those whom he represented. And a show of hands, who did he represent for in the garden? All of you. He represented all of us. And so I've got, a, I got an illustration for you this morning just, just to make sure that we all get this together. And so... I want to I make sure everybody understands imputation this morning before they leave. And so as I thought through this, I thought, you know, Russ, we, we hold on to that for me? And so let's just, we're going to pretend, we're going to be a pretend family here so no one get all tore up with me on this. So Russ is, you know, he's the great, 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 grandpappy. All right? Everybody got that? How many greats was that? I don't remember. All right. So, Everett, I want you to grab onto this string, too. So, Russ has now passed on this imputation. He has imputed his sin over to Everett. And so now, Jared, here you go, Jared. There we go. And, and Carl, just for ease, you know, hold on to that. And we're going to go over here to Matt. Um, hopefully, this gene pool is real short now for a while, so we're going to try to get the gene pool tall. Um, and so, now Matt has it. And, and we're going to imputate over to Eric. Eric, get ready. Get ready. You play for Reedland, too. All right. So, so, Eric has it now. And let's go back here. I feel like Taylor Swift getting in the crowd. All right. And so, so we're just, we're just going to keep on going. There you go. You want to hold on that for me? There we go. There we go. You, you hold on to it. I need you to hold on to it. Can't, can't let a female hold on to it or it's going to mess up my illustration. You'll all understand soon enough. You'll all understand soon enough. We're going to make this make sense. All right, so I'm going to let you hold on to this right here, all right? You just hold on to it. You guys, you're going to hold on to it for a couple minutes, so just, just stay with me. All right, so what we've seen here is we have, we have this imputation that's moved all across, and this is that sin line, this disease that is pervading all over all of humanity. And so, so what we see is, man, it, it's everywhere. And this concept uh, that Adam, when Adam acted, so Russ is acting like Adam, when Adam acted and he sinned in the garden, he was the representative for all of humanity. This theological construct of imputation is called federalism. Federalism is what it is. And so federalism here is the concept much like an elected official where they vote, they act on behalf of all of their constituents 
constituents. Or another example is like a lawyer. A lawyer goes into the courthouse and he acts on behalf of his client. He, he, when he speaks, he speaks for his client. He is supposed to have his client's best interests and hearts. And even at times, the client doesn't even have to be there. But he acts on behalf of his client. That is federalism. And so theologically, what we're saying is, is when Adam acted in the garden, all of those people throughout that string, he acted on behalf of them that they would be eternally damned and eternally dead, or what we call total de- totally depraved, total depravity for all men and all time, for the rest of time. And, and man, I love it when people argue with me about this, and I use this illustration all the time. My kid is not a sinner. Yes, they are. If you don't believe me, I tell you this all the time. We will take you and stick you in the nursery. Those kids will assassinate you for a goldfish. I am telling you they will. They didn't need to be taught that. That's just inherent to their nature. We are born filthy little sinners. And so when people think about imputation or they think about the theological construct of federalism, they they sometimes say, no dimnation without representation. No, I didn't choose that. I didn't choose my my representative in the garden. Adam couldn't have acted for me. Or they'll ask the question like, how, how could it be just for God to appoint one man to represent all kinds of people when the people did not have a voice in said election? I want to tell you, there's a big difference between King George, our congressman, senators, and God. When God selects our representatives, he makes that selection infallibly and impeccably. Nowhere in space and time has there been more of a perfect representative than that of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam was the perfect representative for all of humanity because God selected him in our place. The lie that we believe is that we would fare better than Adam and Eve in the garden. But I'm here to tell you, you would not. We would not. We would fail just like him. In fact, we probably would have failed sooner than Adam and Eve had failed. But the blessing of the theological construct of imputation or federalism is that it isn't a one-way street. It isn't just this one-way thing. Look back at verse 15. Hold on to my yarn. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, what does it say? Much more. Come on, let's do this together. Much more. Do you believe it, people? Much more. Have the gift. Has the grace of God in the free gift. By the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. One act by one man brought death and shame upon all people for all time. Because we're all holding on to that yarn. We're all a descendant of the yarn and the genesis of that yarn. But the grace of Jesus triumphant, triumphant, not over just Adam's sin, 
not over our natural depravity, but also the sins of all of us individually and collectively. The, the yarn of Jesus, the, the imputation of Jesus covers all of them. So, so now, let's think about it like this. So we see this is, this is Adam's sin. This is the sin gene that is passed to every single one of us. But the reality is, is we don't just wake up with just this sin. We all do dumb things on our own, right? Any of you, any of you do dumb things today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I talked crazy to my wife. Um, so, so when you think about it, you hold on to that for me, it becomes more or less just kind of like a, a, a line to more like... A web. You want to just hold on to that fork right there? And it actually becomes something more like this. It, it, it spreads out to, to everyone. You toss this back to me? Yeah, yeah, there we go. You hold on to a part of it, toss it back. You hold on to a part of it, toss it back to me. Come on. Come on. We're going to get crazy here today. We're getting crazy. You want to hold on to that for me? Yeah, you're like first time guest. I'm getting right in the sermon. All right. <laughs> So you hold on to that there. And so then what happens here is you, you start to see this sin become something real crazy where it is a web that's traced between multiple different people and where sin begins to abound. Say abound. Abound. It, it, what we see is that it's not just original sin. You know, hold on to that. So now it's much bigger than just one single line, right? It's much bigger than one single thing. When it comes to depravity, we are sinners both by nature. Check this out. And my seven-point Calvinists, take a deep breath. We're sinners by nature and by choice. We're both. See, Adam has passed on our total depravity, but we expound on it. We, we make it our own craft. Like, check this out. Our, fa- our father Adam gave us the curse of sin, but future generations mastered it. Our father Adam gave us the curse of sin, but future generations mastered it. An easy example is in Genesis chapter 4, we see that Cain kills Abel. One generation. Cain kills Abel. Then we turn our Bibles into the Gospels and we see the perfection of murder. We see Jesus murdered by the Romans for a very specific cause for states of the enemy against Rome. They had perfected it to the point that it was illegal for Roman citizens to be crucified because it was so agonizing and it took so long for most people to die. We perfected it. Last night, Molly and I were wrestling with this because she was like, do you really think that? Well, let's think about it. If past generations, you could have lusted but today, at a moment's notice, at your fingertips, you can access things that you never ever could have seen. At a moment's notice, you, you, you know, you could have desired to, to be a drunkard in the old times, but you sometimes would have needed to ferment the alcohol, and you would need to wait on it for, for seasons of your life. But today, at the drop of a hat, you can have as much as your heart can consume. Our father, Adam, gave us the nature, but we have perfected it. And so, 
let's, let's clean up our yarn here. Try not to choke the, the, the pregnant woman over there. When I wrote my sermon, I didn't anticipate a 30-minute cleanup, so thank you. Do you want this souvenir as if, you know, yeah, okay. Everett, tag. I'm going to let you clean that up. So our father Adam, he, he, he gives us this, this sin, this trespass. And this trespass continues to abound. It, it continues to, to get larger. And, and I'm, I made two drawings on my iPad just to try to help you explain at a different visual. Because folks really struggle with understanding this. And so first we see here, um, we see Adam at the beginning of time. And so time you know, runs across that bottom axis. Can you go back for me? You're still in my thunder, Caleb. Okay. So there is a spot on that. And, and, and what we see is that over time, sin increases, right? Sin continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But the blessing of imputation not being a one-way street is that it doesn't stop there is that, you know, we aren't just expiated. We aren't just forgiven of that single sin. But as sin continues to increase, as folks become more and more wicked, for those who come to follow Jesus, what we see is the Scriptures show us is that grace abounds where sin abounds. And it doesn't just say grace abounds. It says it abounds what? Even more. Grace abounds of Jesus abounds greater than our sins. Check this out. Um, verse 20. And, and, and Johann's going to deal with this in a couple weeks more. But, but it was critical that we came to this point. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, what church? Amen. Our imputation or the trespass that's been given to us is not greater than the grace of Jesus. Amen? The main point of today's message is this. And I'm going to tease this out. I'm not going to give you the answer to it. We're going to change it out just a tap bit as we go. We are damned by works, but also saved by works. It's a matter of whose works we are damned by works but also saved by works it's a matter of whose works come to verse 16 and the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin it's not like the result of Adam the free gift is not like that of Adam For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, the free gift greater than the many trespasses brought what? Justification. This whole participle that we find here 
in Romans chapter 5 is all in an effort to, to further his explanation of, of, of all of the work of Romans. Romans is an exclamation upon the work of justification. He is making a theological argument for justification. And, and, and what, do we, what do I mean by that? Is that we are justified by grace alone, by faith alone. I mean, it comes back to what the... What the you know, Protestant Reformation was really all about the the, the five solas, really that that we that Martin Luther and that many Protestants lost their lives over is that we are justified by grace alone, by faith alone, nothing more. And so, what is justification, Pastor? Justification, an easy way to remember this is just as if I never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. And, and, and from a theological standpoint, declared right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. To be declared right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. The effects of Christ's deed undo the eternal effects of Adam's deed. And that's what, that's what Paul is getting at here in verses 15, 16, and 17. As he's saying that the work of Christ undoes eternally the work of Adam. That it is greater in work than, than, the, than the bad effects that Adam's sin had on creation. Adam's deed resulted in condemnation, but Christ's work results in justification. We are declared as if we have never sinned by grace alone, sola grata, by faith alone, sola fide, on the basis of works alone. And like you're like, hold on, wait a second. You just whiplash me there. On the basis of works alone. Come back to the main point. We are damned by works, but also justified works. It's a matter of Whose works? Whose works are we talking about? Probably the most quoted scripture in, in all of Romans that we've quoted is not from Romans. And we keep pointing back to this scripture because, man, if you understand the heart of this scripture that I'm about to quote, you understand the heart of the gospel. You understand the totality of what, why the gospel is so important. And it's 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He, God the Father... For our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be sin who know no sin. Jesus who came and lived a perfect and completely sinful life. Who loved the unlovable, who reached the unreachable. God the Father on the cross made Him who knew no sin to become sin. He damned Him on the cross... Why? Why? Why does, why does Jesus become the curse of sin and death on the cross? Well, right here it is. So that in Him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So right here it is. This is imputation at its most beautiful intersection. We are justified by grace alone, by faith alone, on the basis of Christ alone on the basis of Christ alone we are saved on the basis of the imputed righteousness of Jesus why are we saved because of Jesus not our merit 
on Jesus. When we make a profession of faith, just as we received Adam's sin nature, we inherit the forgiveness that Jesus offers. But not just the forgiveness. We don't just get forgiveness in this transaction, but we receive His righteousness. We receive His righteousness. It's so much more than He just forgives our sins. Forgiveness is just expiation. It's bigger than expiation. And, and I'm not going to get into the full pitch. If you want to understand what I mean by this, you can go watch my sermon like five weeks ago about propitiation. But it's not just that uh, when, we, when we make a profession of faith, when we confess Jesus as Lord, that our sins are just forgiven. No, no, no. Because if it, He just forgived our sins, He expiated them, then that means we have to build our own righteousness from that day forward. He doesn't just expiate them. He doesn't just push them away. No, on the cross, Christ became are propitiation, which means it is not just a past work, it is not just a present work, but it is an ever future work. Christ's propitiation on the cross, meaning that he absorbed the, right, the wrath of God the Father, and he transacted giving us his righteousness, so that when God the Father looks down upon all of us who hold on to that bit of yarn. He doesn't just cover the yarn where God the Father doesn't see it. He doesn't just make it go away, right Russ? He covers us completely. It's almost like he takes a bed sheet that has Jesus written on it and he throws it over top of all who would confess him as Lord. And what essentially what I'm getting at is that by us inheriting his righteousness is that when God the Father looks down upon us from heaven, he doesn't see us at all. He doesn't see you at all. Amen? He sees His Son. When we stand in the great white judgment and we go before God, He's not going to look at us and, and judge us. Or, or He's going to judge us, but we're not going to be punished on our merit. We're not going to be punished based on what we have done. If we've confessed Jesus as Lord, He's going to say, Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Not because of you, but because of Him. Throw back up 2 Corinthians 5.21. That for our sake, for our sake, us wretched, hopeless people, God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Think about that. Think about that very thing. We inherit His righteousness. That's why He said to His disciples, you can do greater things than me. It's because He knew that we were broken vessels, but we weren't operating in the power of our authority. We don't operate as Christians by the power of our authority. We operate through His righteousness. That's the beauty of the gospel. And we, we gotta sit down around this because folks, they, they really just don't, they don't understand this. As we take people through our discipleship groups, our D groups here at Rest, and we take them through a systematic theology course, a very, very small systematic theology course, it will blow your mind the folks who have lived in church their whole lives who do not understand this very critical aspect of the gospel. We inherit the righteousness of God. And, and, and 
I, I need you to check this out. The work or the works that saved us is not just his death, church. It's not just Jesus' death, because we always make it this, this zero sum, this binary, it was Jesus' death. It wasn't just that Jesus could show up on heaven at 33 years old, come to the cross, get on the cross, and die. It's not that simple. Jesus had to come. He had to be born of a virgin. Why did he have to be born of a virgin? He had to be born of a virgin because the line of imputation had to be broken. He couldn't receive the seed of man. Because if he had received the seed of man, he'd be damned just like every one of us. He was born of the Holy Spirit, breaking the curse of sin and allowing him to be the seed of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, and he comes and he lives a perfect and sinless life, which is so critical. He couldn't just die for us. He had to be tempted and tried just like us in every single way. And he had to be found perfect. Perfect. Jesus had to come live on earth for 33 years perfectly so that he could impute his righteousness, those perfect lives, those perfect years to us. On this particular subject, Wayne Grudem says this, If Christ had only offered himself as a sacrifice, thereby earning us forgiveness of sins, we would only have access to a partial salvation. Although our guilt would be removed, we would be like Adam and Eve, where the first created guilt-free but capable of sin and having no lifelong record of obedience. And in order to enter into fellowship with God, we would need to live a life of perfect obedience. He goes on to say, Therefore, Christ had to live a perfect obedience to God so that the positive merits of that obedience could be counted for us. Christ's perfect life had to happen so that that righteousness could be counted to us. That is why Paul, that is what Paul means when he says, by the one man's obedience that many will be made righteous. And this is why Paul does not count on his own righteousness, but instead counts on that which comes from Christ, the righteousness that God depends on face. Philippians 3.9. Christ, through the sinless life he lived, became our righteousness. We needed Jesus to come and live a perfect life so that we could receive his righteousness. So let's come back to this main point. We are damned by works, but also saved by works. It's a matter of Jesus' works. We are saved by Jesus' works. The yarn of Adam is still on our hands. And we'll never get rid of that sin nature that lives inside of us. Paul deals with this when he says, I do the very things that I hate. And the things that I want to do, I seemingly sometimes are incapable to do them. We will never let go of that work of Adam. But, Verse 17, for if because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
I want to point out, man, he says much more in two consecutive verses, right, Russ? He says, hey, man, you're dead in your sins. But he says, much more is the grace that God has given you. Much more is the righteousness that has been bestowed upon you. You are not a filthy, wretched sinner anymore. In fact, the, the, the old early church, they, they had this Latin saying, simos estus, which basically means that you are both saint and sinner simultaneously. We have a new nature that has been bestowed to us, and it is the nature of the righteousness of Christ. We will never rid the sin of Adam from our hands. We will never rid the sin of Adam from our minds. We will never rid the sin of Adam from our actions. But the grace of God and the righteousness of God can counteract and can transform us from the inside and out and can make us an actual bearable person to be around. Right? Paul is at great pains to show us the power of the scope of Christ's work is far greater than the scope of Adam. Twice he says, how much more? To show us that the work of Christ can overwhelm completely and completely cover and undo the effects of Adam's work. The great theologian John Scott, one of the great Um, forerunners of the um, evangelical church said this, so then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Which, whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam or the new humanity initiated by Christ. Church, I come back to the main point. It is this, we are damned by works, but also saved by works. It's a matter of Jesus' works. We are either to live a life of submission to our first father, Adam, When we follow our wants, our desires, we seek after the things that make us happy, we seek after the things that bring us the most joy, or we live by the works of Christ and we surrender to the second Adam that is Jesus. And the works of Jesus bring eternal life because the works of Jesus bestow his righteousness on to us. So, you go, okay, I've just sat through a 35-minute theological course of you getting real excited about Jesus' life. What does that mean for me? Right, what, what does that mean for me? What are the real-world takeaways or applications we can draw from this text? It's this. It's just super simple. If we are not saved by our own works, don't be a Pharisee. See, the Jews, even today, they don't believe in total depravity. They don't believe in this, in this that we all have this brokenness inside of us. In fact, they have this, this saying that essentially the more Torah that you have embedded in you, the more truth that you get inside of you, the closer to God that you will actually be. If we're not saved by our own works, don't be a Pharisee. 
Better put, don't pursue righteousness for self-righteousness sake. Don't pursue righteousness for self-righteousness sake. Now, man, some of my holiness family would be screaming at me right now. What? We all got to be righteous. You're going to hell. Some of you guys grew up in a setting like that. But I, I don't see that in the scriptures. But rather, I see something else. I see the call for us to pursue Jesus. And by pursuing Jesus, a byproduct of pursuing Jesus is righteousness. See, there is a difference between trying to be righteous for your own self-righteousness sake. Because what we have in Christianity is a lot of people trying to be a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout. Trying to go get their merit badges of righteousness so that they got flair on their chest walking around going, See how holy I am? You've been around those people before? Have you been around the weight of the theology that that creates on people's lives? The oppression that is felt. I gotta be, I gotta be righteous. And they're miserable to be around because they hate everything about the world because it's all about their own individual righteousness. Boys and girls, teenagers that are in this room, if there's one thing I can appeal to you, look to Jesus. Don't look around at the world because as 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 Luke writes in Hebrews he says look to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith if we pursue him and we seek after the gospel in every area of our life righteousness will follow it will follow us everywhere we go People who pursue righteousness for self-righteousness sake, man, they're, they're, they're so bitter. And it pushes them away from humanity rather than pulling them to humanity with the message of the cross. They, they run around yelling and screaming at people with sin in their lives because they've got sin in their lives. That doesn't mean we cower and we say sin is okay. Because, man, if you've been around us, you know we don't cower at all around that stuff. But that means that we go to them with the grace and humility, just like Jesus met the woman caught in adultery. We go to them with the truth of the gospel. Do we say you are in sin if you're shacking up with somebody you're not married to? Yes, we do. We make no bones about it. But that doesn't mean that we take our finger and we stick it in their eye and we shove it around. No, we pursue Jesus because Jesus brings about a grace and humility because it is the work of the cross that shows us we deserved nothing but death. And when you understand you are no, but, no better than the brother or the sister to the left or to the right, you understand that God handled you with gloves and He drew you to Him. In Him, he, he drew you through the call of the Holy Spirit that you might have life eternal. Therefore, you are no more different than they are. Just because you're saved today and they are not doesn't mean, man, that you, that you had it all together when God found you because you didn't. You didn't. 
people who revel in the work of Jesus or the righteousness what we know is they're not cool to meander into mediocrity of lukewarm living nor are they a spiritual boy scout or boy, uh, a girl scout trying to show everyone the flair as they walk through the halls of their church or the halls of their house rather they bask in the fullness of the favor of God the Father due to the completeness of the work of Jesus Christ through his perfect and sinless life and death on the cross. Most simply, what am I asking you today? I'm asking you to press into Jesus. Seek Jesus and his righteousness will follow. Where do I do that? How do I do that, Pastor? Let me just tell you, man, the greatest invitation that I can bring to you is that of which I say to you, read your Bible. You wonder why you're hungry. It's because you're not eating of any bread, man. Read your Bible. Bible. You say, I don't know where to start, man. Just get on your phone. Start a a Bible reading plan on the Bible app. Start somewhere. Pastor, I don't have the right version. I don't care what version you read. Just read the thing. Get some food in your life. Spend some time talking to the Father on your knees, on your face. Spend some intentional time with you and God. Man, you, you're, you can't hear the voice of God because you're not turning down the knobs to all the rest of the noise in your life. You're running here and there. This kid's got this today. That kid's got that. Or, or you're, you, you have so much chaos. You're on your phone scrolling constantly, constantly, constantly. And you're like, God, where are you at? Why, why can't I hear you? God, why is my life kind of all out of sorts? Why am I mentally exhausted? It's because you never turn it off. You want to hear the voice of God turn down the knobs to everything else and spend some time in His Word. Maybe this morning you have never confessed Jesus as Lord of your life. And today as we walk through and we look at the original sin and then we see that that trespass, but then as we talk through the free gift of salvation where He gives us His righteousness, maybe it's clicking for you today. And, And for the first time, the Holy Spirit is drawing you in and He's saying... Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Put down your nets of life. Put down all of your junk. Quit trying to earn your own righteousness and follow me. Well, the Scriptures are clear that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, then we can be saved. It's that simple. That's the scandal of the Gospel. It is that simple. And so I ask you point blank, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord? Have you confessed Him as Lord of your life? Because He's Lord whether you have or you have not. It is not about your choice whether He is or isn't. He is. I can assure you of that. Have you confessed Him as Lord? Have you put your faith, your hope, your trust completely and wholly in His righteousness? so that He can bestow His righteousness upon you.